Brothers and sisters in Christ, there are plenty of words in the English language that have both a positive and negative meaning. The word rejection is not one of them. Rejection is a word that rings in our ears with very much negativity. Uh, the first example that might come to mind is, the, is in the context of young people dating, or if you prefer, courting. Uh, Proverbs 30 says, Four things I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. And there are probably very few guys who wouldn't say amen to that, uh, having experienced the sharp point of rejection and seeking a relationship with a young lady. Another thing that comes to mind for me as I hear the word rejection is the area of production and quality control. Uh, as I'm sure you know, there are stores that uh, specialize in marketing and, and selling products that have been rejected. Sometimes they're called seconds. Uh, and if you've uh, made enough purchases at su- such stores, you, you probably have come to realize uh, why certain items get rejected, uh, because they do prove themselves all too often to be of lesser quality and indeed worthy of rejection. I also think of the game of basketball. Here we are in the month of March uh, with uh, March Madness uh, soon to be upon us with the college basketball tournament. And uh, you don't have to watch a a game uh, for too long before seeing a a player shoot while the defending player jumps and swats the ball from its path toward the hoop and hearing the announcer say, rejection. Rejection. It really is a kind of fearful word for us, especially as we all struggle with our own inferiority complexes and our sense of weakness and imperfection. So it ought to encourage us. It, uh, it ought to give us comfort to know that sometimes people get rejected, people experience rejection, even when they don't deserve it. Such was the case even with our Lord Jesus. This morning I want us to consider the rejection of Jesus. John 1, verse 9 and following says of Christ, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's rejection. And we likely know the story that that very soon, remarkably soon, after Jesus began his ministry, the leaders of the people were opposing him and already looking for a way to kill him. But in the end, it wasn't just the leaders, but all the people shouted, crucify him, crucify him. However, once again, we're going to come at the story of our Lord's rejection by looking into the story of Joseph's life. Last time we saw that Joseph was the beloved son of his father Jacob, just as the father said of Jesus, this is my beloved son. We also saw Joseph hated by his brothers, 
just as Jesus was hated by the leaders and eventually by all of his own people. But he wasn't just hated. He was rejected. And we see this too, rejection in the life of Joseph. This morning, looking at Genesis 37, 12 to 36, the first point is sending the son. Once again, it's hard to miss the parallel. It was pointed out last time that we do need to be careful not to allegorize the story, which is to say uh, we need to be careful not to think we're going to find a direct correspondence with every aspect of the story. But there are certain parallels which, which we take as prefigurations, foreshadowings, as we say, of the person and ministry of our Lord. And here's one that's hard to miss, the, the sending of the Son, even the beloved Son. Uh, verse uh, 12 and 13 record, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, uh, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to him, to them. Even as the more familiar verse from Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That, of course, is John 3.16. And the, the next verse says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In fact, this is uh, actually a theme, we might call it, that, that runs throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel writer r- recorded for us what Jesus often claimed and affirmed throughout his ministry, that he was sent by the Father. Let me give you a, a, a quick survey. Uh, the very works that I am doing, said Jesus, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John 5.36 This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. John 6.29 As the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. John 6.57 This is eternal life, said Jesus, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17.3 And in the end... Jesus said this upon his resurrection, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. John 20, verse 21. And the same emphasis we must see is made in Genesis 37, because verse 14 reads, So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, And bring me word, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. It prompts us to think about the significance of God sending his son, even again his beloved son, into the world. There is a sense in which the father's sacrifice of the son began already as he sent his son. Uh, think of a person you love. 
uh, children, uh, think of your parents and how much you love them. Would you send your parent away from you to be a blessing to someone else? Would you, would you ever uh, think to yourself, I, I love my mother, but I know someone else needs my mother more than I do. I will send her to go care for them. Or we could reverse it. Uh, do, do parents ever say, I, I love my child, but someone else needs my child more than me. I will send my child away from me. So as we are taught that God sent his beloved son, we are surely meant to grasp something already of the sacrifice that God made of his son in order to begin to understand God's great love for us. But even more, God sent his son even to the cross for us. Here's a difference uh, and an important one that Jacob certainly did not send his son Joseph intending him to die a horrible death. In fact, it, it might be seen as somewhat foolish of Jacob to send his beloved son alone to find his other brothers. Commentators uh, point out that the, the location uh, only makes the point even more. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. Uh, we are told, and, and Jacob knew this, and even said, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? And the point does not seem to be that the location of Shechem uh, uh, was somehow closer to where Jacob was currently living. The point instead seems to be that it was the city of Shechem. And what's the significance of, of Shechem? Testing your memory here a little bit. If you remember, it was the city where two of the sons of Jacob had stormed uh, the city with a murderous vengeance for the way the prince of that city had treated their sister Dinah. Uh, does it not seem foolish uh, that the sons of Jacob even dared go near the city again? But it seems even more foolish that Jacob would send his beloved son not only alone and not only to his brothers who hated him, but to find them at Shechem with its murderous significance within the character of his sons. And so in an opposite kind of way, it actually accentuates the very wisdom of God to think that God certainly knew that he was sending his son as a lamb among wolves. And just as Joseph ended, ended up having to seek out his brothers, in, in a sense, his lost brothers, for they had moved on from Shechem, so we know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the very people who in their lostness hated him and put him to death. And that includes you and me. Because even though you and I weren't there to yell, crucify him, yet it was my sin. And it was your sin, if you are a believer in Christ. It was our sin that led him to the cross, that put him on the cross. It was our sin for which he died. 
Next, the second point, Joseph's coat. And maybe you've been waiting for this. Uh, We first heard about Joseph's very famous coat last time as we heard that Jacob gave him the coat. Uh, We didn't dwell on it, though, and it's just as well because now we see more of its significance. We also pointed out last time that not only is the the Bible a story, but a very well-written story full of intrigue and doubling back and foreshadowing. And now we see more of the significance of Joseph's coat of many colors. Uh, To start with, uh, the commentators point out that the coat was more than a gift that Joseph got while his brothers didn't get one. It was that, and that is significance, but the language used in the Hebrew suggests that it was also a kind of uniform. And, and, and a uniform uh, of one in a superior position. In other words, the many-colored coat marked Joseph and set him apart as the one in charge over his brothers. But here, here then, is the further significance of Joseph's coat. Verse 18 records, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. How did they recognize him coming to them by his coat? How did they know the figure on the horizon or coming across the field toward them, however it happened, how did they know it was Joseph? Perhaps by his coat, his his coat of bright colors. And and so it points us to Christ again, uh, because even though Christ didn't wear some unique set of clothing, yet he was fully recognizable as the very Son of God. John even writes, We have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. By His teaching, by His miracles, by the fulfillment of prophecy, ultimately by His resurrection from the dead. But but even as He lived and ministered among the people, those who rejected Him were left with no excuse for rejecting Him. By Christ's own revelation of himself to the people. In in, in some parts of the church, this is called the epiphany. Jesus making himself known to the people in unmistakable ways and means. As Jesus made himself recognizable for who he truly was and is, well, so sin is shown to be utterly sinful in the unbelief of those who saw his glory, but received him not. And so they conspired to kill him. The point, the next point is conspiracy to kill. But are we talking about Joseph or Jesus? Well, yes, both. Verse 19 says, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits then, he, uh, then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. And I have mentioned uh, how remarkably soon after Jesus began his ministry, uh, the leaders of the people were already thinking to kill him. 
Already in John 5.18, it says this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Uh, and, And the words all the more, seeking all the more to kill him, shows us how quickly our Lord was met with the threat of death. And John 7 verse 1 also records, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. But why would they kill him? For whatever reason, it it might be harder for us to see it with Joseph. But it's something uh, in the ministry that we can see, in the ministry of Jesus, that we can see quite clearly uh, with Joseph being sinners ourselves, we, we can at least understand his brother's jealousy. Uh, we might even want to fault Jacob for playing favorites. Uh, it's, uh, it's a moralistic lesson, and it shouldn't be uh, uh, taken as a main point in, in understanding the message of this story. But, but let's understand, parents ought not to have favorites. It, 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 uh, it's hurtful to the other children when that is the case. But with Joseph and his brothers, uh, we can understand at least the tension between them. With Jesus, however, we really do need to recognize what it was for the people to reject Jesus, even seeking to kill him. Here was a man who preached good news to the people. Why be jealous of him? Here was a man who could heal the sick. Why would you kill him? Here was a man who could cast out demons by a single command. Why put him to death? It's it's like saying of Einstein, uh, he's too smart, uh, let's kill him. (laughs) Uh, It's like saying of Mother Teresa, she's too kind, uh, let's put her to death. It's like saying of the doctor or or scientist who is about to cure cancer, uh, we just don't like him. He must die. And so do we recognize what was demonstrated in the ministry of Jesus, not just the love of God in sending his son, even sending him to die on the cross for his sinful people, but also what was demonstrated was the evil of evil, the depth of sin in the sinner, the foolish, self-condemning pride and jealousy of people who would rather kill their Savior than to be saved by him. The depth of sin is that sinners would rather kill the one who gives them life, securing their place in hell, rather than submit and be saved by the God who shows such love in sending his son. The further thing to see is is that the same unbelief is found in the world yet today and perhaps is found within you and me. Again, we we weren't there to yell, crucify him. But if we can hear the gospel story, if if we can hear the good news that God provides salvation through his son, and yet we can turn away, rejecting Christ, failing to receive him by faith as our Savior, then it only proves the depth of our sin And it ought to make us tremble. 
It ought to frighten us when we find unbelief within us. Each of us is a sinner. We, we know our guilt before a holy God. We, we know that the grave awaits us. And we know that when we die, we will die in our sin, as Scripture says. Why then? Why? Why, as we hear about Jesus, do we reject him? And even for believers in Christ, it, it ought to scare us that, that we can think so little of our Savior, that we might go days without giving thought to him, without spending time with him by reading our Bibles and spending time in prayer. Why are we so quick to reject him when he is the glorious Savior from sin and from death and from hell? At best, among those who will not believe, there is the attempt to mitigate. And this is the next point, attempt to mitigate. The, to mitigate means to make less serious or severe. Uh, it's kind of like a compromise, a, a, a taking of the middle ground, a straddling of the fence. Uh, we see it in Reuben. Uh, Jacob's firstborn, uh, verse 22 records, and, and Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. Hmm. We hear the mitigation of his plan, but can we not also hear its contradiction and, and its hypocrisy? Let us not kill him. Let us instead grab him, seize him, and, uh, and throw him into a pit so that we will not be laying a hand on him. His plan was later to rescue Joseph out of the pit, away from his brothers, and to restore him to Jacob, his father, as we are told. But, but this was really just another form of rejection. To take your brother and to throw him in a pit is certainly not to receive him and to honor him as your brother. And we see the attempt to mitigate in certain persons relating to Jesus, perhaps chief among the mitigators was Nicodemus in John 3, coming to talk to Jesus, but uh, coming at night so as not to be seen. We see Nicodemus showing some honor to Jesus in, in how he addressed him, but at least at this point, it was only mitigation, not the, not the full rejection of others, but certainly not the full reception of Jesus that Nicodemus should have given him. We see mitigation in Judas, that, uh, that he followed Jesus for a while, but in the end betrayed Jesus, selling him out for money. But the point, again, is to see, to check and see whether we are attempting only to mitigate, to, to lessen the severity of our rejection of Jesus. We come to church, isn't that enough? If someone asks us, are you a Christian? We, we gladly respond, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian. We try to live rightly. We, we generally don't lie, cheat, and steal, at least not on any regular basis. But such things are not the essence of faith. 
when faith is repenting of all forms of rejecting Jesus and instead receiving him, receiving him for who he himself claimed to be, the Son of God, and receiving him for what the Bible says he did, what he had to do if we would be saved. There are any number of ways to reject Jesus. There is only one way to receive him. By confessing our sin, by crying out for mercy from God for the sake of Christ, by claiming Christ, claiming him as our own, and loving him, and living for him throughout our lives. Well, finally then, providence prevails. The other brothers of Joseph had, uh, had their own plan for mitigation. Uh, verse 26 says, Then Judah said to his brothers, uh, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Can you feel the love, as we say? <laughs> he is our brother, said Judah. We, we really shouldn't kill him, you know. Let's just sell him as a slave. Even more, we can make a little money from the deal as well. It was certainly another attempt at, at mitigation, but the point to end on is that it was also the providence of God. Here is God carrying forward his purpose in the life of his people exactly by their sin. Here is the providence of God, and here is the sovereignty of God that he was directing the steps of his people at every point in the journey toward Christ. Psalm 76, verse 10 says, as we sang earlier, Surely the wrath of man shall praise him. The remnant of wrath he will put on, or you will put on, like a belt. The point is to see that Joseph was not killed, he was rejected, but not killed, and the story of his life continues. And we will continue in the story, the Lord willing, in the weeks to come. For this morning, we end by focusing again on that big picture. Here is uh, another short story within the full story. And the testimony given us is again for our faith in Christ. Joseph survived the murderous plan of his brothers. Even Reuben's plan came to nothing. But as distressed as he was that he was not able to return Joseph to his father, we know that God was not distressed. God is never distressed by the wiles and ways of sinful man. God's purposes always stand and it's not just about Joseph, it's about Jesus. And as Jesus was sent by the Father, as Jesus has come, as he has lived and died for us and has risen again from the dead, the only reason to reject him is our own sinful pride. The very sin that makes it so urgent for us to receive him by faith as our Savior. So let us not reject him. Oh, that we would not reject 
the Lord Jesus Christ, whether by outright rejection or by some mitigated rejection, let us not reject Him. Let us instead receive Him and be saved by Him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you came for us, sent by the Father, and you were rejected. And yet, even in your rejection, your Father's plan proceeded. And even by your cross, you provided salvation for each of us if we will indeed receive you. Grant that we would receive you and not reject you and find in you such a glorious salvation that we would never, ever be tempted to reject you at any point in our lives as we instead live for you for your honor and for your glory in response to what you have done for us in your saving ministry. We ask in your name, Lord Jesus, amen.